The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Gwen and Mercy Academy High School, Sisters of Mercy, or any related affiliate. Save the date for the annual Gwennett at the Shore event. Alumni, parents, and friends are invited to enjoy cocktails and light fair on Friday, August 4th at the Icona Beachfront Resort in Avalon, New Jersey. Guests must be 21 years or older to attend. We look forward to seeing you then. Welcome back to the Monarch Impact Podcast. I'm Alexandra Falconio. And I'm Erin Remo-Clemens, a member of the class of 2012 and the Director of Alumni Engagement here at Gwinnett. As the Chief Executive Officer at Habitat for Humanity Philadelphia, Corinne O'Connell has demonstrated outstanding leadership skills throughout her life. She graduated from Gwinnett Mercy Academy High School in 1993, and she received the Trocare Leadership Award for her philanthropy and nonprofit work effort. With a BA from St. Joseph's University in History, and a master's from Seattle University for nonprofit leadership. Corinne has been recognized on various occasions for her active leadership. In 2017, she was an awardee of the Valentine Leadership Fund, along with the Philadelphia Business Journal, honoring her as one of the 25 most admired CEOs in 2019. Furthermore, St. Joseph's University awarded Corinne with the Ignatius Award for her life of service to others. Returning to Gwinnett in 2021, Corinne was the commencement speaker for the graduating class of Mercy Girls. Welcome, Corinne. So if you could describe your four years at Gwinnett with one word, what word would it be and why? That's a lovely question. It's a good jumping off point, Alexandra. Formative. You know, my time at Gwinnett, it was formative in a academically, spiritually, athletically, sort of in the mental, emotional, sort of in that health and space, formative in the friendships. I am still close with a lot of the women I went to high school with, but in particular, there's six of us that, you know, I could text them right now in my phone. GMA is how they're in there. And it's six girlfriends from high school, which is pretty awesome. Formative. That's amazing. And I think being a senior and going off to college soon, it really conveys that the sisterhood really lasts for a long time and throughout our whole lives. And what would you say were some of your favorite classes at Gwinnett? Did these classes help navigate you in the direction of what you wanted to major in during your college years? You know, I reflected a little bit on that question. I was definitely more drawn to the history, English, Latin, French. So you can see which way sort of my brain leans. But I will also say teacher Sister Gail in particular on the math side of things. I went most days after school and sat in her office and we did one-on-one. She tutored me one-on-one. And she, you know, when I'd get frustrated and be like, I can't do math or I hate math. She'd be like, no, you can do math, you know, and just that persistence with me and holding that space for me to keep going and, and not just walk away from math. But I would say on the, I was definitely more in the English, Maureen Christie, she had a sister, Maureen Christie, she had a sign on her door that said, abandon hope all ye who enter here, Dante's (laughs) Inferno. She taught me how to write. Oftentimes people say to me to this day, they're like, wow, you have such a, you know, strong ability to convey thought, feeling, emotion. And that's Maureen Christie. 
It's so funny. I would say Sister Christy is like the number one teacher. Everyone always kind of credits for their writing ability. And even now she she still works in our tutoring center, even though she's retired from teaching. But even my boss, Colleen, she, I remember had Sister Christy proofread things. We kind of have her as like our in-house proofreader and she didn't give her any edits. And she was like, oh my gosh, like oh, I really I won. Like skipped out of that room and been like, I got an A plus. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. everybody still is like, just wants to make sure that their writing is up to par for Sister Christy. So I think yeah, it's definitely she's a, a, fan it is favorite. a It is a gift. You know, I remember like how to like, you know, two page papers or that five paragraph essay. I would also name in there Mrs. D'Angelo. She was phenomenal. She was in the history department, Mrs. Schramm in the history department, Mrs. Lamb. She was in English. They sort of marry well together, the history and the English classes for sure. They, they're woven together. Yeah, that's amazing. And it really goes to show how teachers here at Gwinnett really encourage students to keep going and to keep moving forward, even if we have, you know, obstacles in our way, that there's still a way to get around them and to keep going on with our lives, which is, it's a really amazing. Absolutely. And, and out of all the teachers that you just mentioned, which one would you say has the biggest impact on you throughout your Gwinnett experience? Well, I'm going to take a little liberty. I named quite a few of the teachers. I think also I would be remiss if I did not name Mr. Wilson, biggest impact. I had the benefit I ran for him as a little kid with Ambler Olympic Club. And one of the reasons that my sister and I ended up at Gwinnett was that Mr. Wilson was there. And so we had that, again, the sort of a theme of a thread that pulls through. Him coaching at Gwinnett was one of the reasons that we looked at that as a place to go. So then to run for him for four years was a pretty remarkable, hard, don't get me wrong. He's an old softy now. He was a living terror when I was there. <laughs> um, maybe it's because I was 15 and everybody felt like, a, you know, I look back on that again of the friendships I made on those teams cross-country, indoor, and track. And again, bringing it back to that notion of formative. But yeah, he sort of set a, set a high bar, much like all of the teachers at Gwinnett. And the expectation is that we could surpass it. Yeah. And I had a similar experience as well, actually. My club coach for field hockey was the head coach uh, for our school team here at Gwinnett. Uh, when I started as a freshman, and she was a big factor into why I wanted to come here to pursue being a field hockey player during my high school years, and along with the welcoming one in community as well. Those were really yeah. big factors for me. Yeah, it's sort of there's a little bit of familiar that you're walking into. Exactly. Yeah. And during your time at Gwinnett, were you involved in any leadership roles? And if so, can you explain why you chose those opportunities? I was, I was certainly a joiner. I think most, most Mercy girls are, you know, track, cross country, indoor. I, I was a captain I, all three, my senior year of all of those teams, which was a really cool. I was involved in CCS, right? Communities or CSC, Community Service mm -hmm. Corps. Look at me getting my initials backwards. I was, <laughs> there was a little renegade group of us that started the Environmental Services Club, which felt very radical back in 1992 and 1993 to start this notion of like, let's, you know, have like Earth Day at Gwinnett. So that felt very progressive. Yeah, what I loved, oh, Model UN, that was something else like, could I be any more of a dork? Yes. 
Um, <laughs> but I loved, here's what I love, right, about in that space is that there was opportunity to step into it and to step into leadership without it being this whole thing that there's a natural leading opportunity at Gwinnett and a space to try it you know, again, like Model UN, would I ever think of like, let me throw my hat in the ring, but it was really cool. I think it was, it was the year that President Clinton's election, and we did this whole mock debate and the whole school was invited and each person like, anyway, but that I can remember it now, however, however many years later, it's pretty neat to think about um, what that opportunity was. Yeah. And it's amazing how Gwinnett creates such a comfortable and welcoming atmosphere for its students to the point where we're comfortable with taking it on initiatives and to continue in leadership and to even try new things that we never thought we would even attempt to do when we were younger. So it's just amazing how Gwinnett has shaped us into future leaders. And it really stands by the fact that she is the future and that we can be the future. Alexandra, I will work for you someday. <laughs> She's such Sign a great speaker. Sign I love me it. up. Sign me up. I'm excited to see where you go next. Thank That's you. for sure. It is in the ethos. There's a naturalness to step up and raise your hand for sure. And an encouraging space at Gwinnett. Absolutely. And, you know, when you're here, it sounds like, you know, you got super involved. Sometimes that's just like the best part of jumping in with both feet when you come here to Gwinnett. And it really encourages you to to get involved, get involved with the mercy spirit and kind of build that throughout your time. How do you kind of take that, what you learned, that mercy spirit that you fostered during four years here and bring that into kind of your life now into the world? Well, I, you know, I'd love, um, Aaron, if I was like, oh, it was all intentional and this was the plan and this was the path. Um, but, you know, if your listeners could see me shaking my head right now, <laughs> um, that was not necessarily, there was a fair amount of serendipitousness and also a sense of, you know, sort of in that formation and that formativeness of um, the mercy charisma and then my education at St. Joseph's University and that Jesuit tradition both of them of being of service, you know, with others. So while not this like hit over the head moment, I'd say it's just more in sort of helping how I see the world through that lens. And it was, you know, when it started to sort of focus my glasses to you, maybe like if that's the analogy, and then, you know, same at St. Joe's, it just started to bring a bit more focus for me. But I have spent the last 25 gasp, my gosh, years in the nonprofit space, and in particular in affordable housing, because, you know, housing is a human right. And sort of the the closer in I get and the proximity to the need, it makes it certainly easier to stay or vice versa, harder to leave. It makes the call, makes my why pretty clear of what it is, what I do. So yeah, long answer in that space of there's a, the spirit of mercy is, is woven in there. Yeah. I think all of us have this spirit of service and giving back kind of instilled at us at such a young age here. And it's, it's hard to not crave that, you know, even if whether it's your job or, or just something that you do, you know, on the weekend um, to kind of give back to the community. And it's fabulous that you have carved out a career for yourself in that way and and been able to give back to, to our Philadelphia community. Is there like a favorite memory that you have, whether it's something silly or something, you know, more heartfelt from your time here at Gwinnett that you just always kind of hold on to and cherish? 
Well, way back, I mean, I make myself out that I'm like 110 years old, but it feels <laughs> like way back when I look at, you know, young faces on the screen, the freshman and the sophomore, we used to have to wear blue dockiders. And that was, and then junior and senior years, you got to have penny loafers. And that was like a big deal. <laughs> and I remember like, it was freshman year, some of the like, you know, senior freshman stuff, but it was right before the lunch period ended the bell, right before the bell would ring. They had us dump all of our shoes in a, the blue dockiders in a big pile. And then the bell rang and it was like, you had to get to class, but it was like, this is like scramble. But it ended up being like this, like funny, silly thing. Cause like I ended up, you know, you might've had two left shoes, but you had to go find your classmate. It was like, well, I have a seven and a half and that one has a six. And like, so it was like early formative space of a silly way of, I don't even know that the seniors were that intentional, but like, I remember that of going up, you know, being like, wait, I heard so-and-so has a size eight right shoe. And so that's a, I don't know, that just literally popped into my brain. But I think my fondest, fondest, my sophomore year, we won the States for cross country and we were the first state title. And now when I've been back, I mean, it is amazing to me to walk into the gym and to see all of the state titles and the district district title banners hanging, but ours is in the corner. And yes, it was the first that we had won. And that's a pretty cool thing to have been a first in a school that is in the space of creating first opportunities for women. That's something I'm really proud of. That's amazing. Yeah. And Coach Wilson has really created just such a fantastic running program here. And he, you know, he'll go down in history as one of the best coaches here. And it's so funny that you mentioned the shoe story because I can remember. So we, when I was a freshman, we did not, we all had to wear penny loafers regardless of what year you were. But I had been told my first year of freshman year that the seniors would make all the freshmen throw their shoes into a pile. And then you'd have to figure out which ones were yours. And it did not end up happening, but we were all, me and my friends were all so nervous that we weren't getting, like our moms were going to be mad that like, we didn't have the proper <laughs> penny loafers that we all took nail polish and wrote our oh, initials funny. on the bottom. And I think for four years, I had my initials on the bottom of my shoes. Well, then so just afraid. in case we're ready, Erin. <laughs> yes. I was like good that. Ethos of, that's a good leadership skill. Always be ready. Yeah, always be prepared, but I did not end up having to put my shoes in a pile. But it's funny because I was like, maybe that never happens, but oh, it apparently did. it did. It did. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe then, maybe then it got outlawed because I would imagine there yeah. were some yeah. parents who were like, uh, I just bought these new blue dock siders and my kid has now two left, you know, size sevens. Like, no. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's so funny. But yeah, we all have those like goofy little quirky Gwented traditions mm-hmm. that we, that we love. And another tradition that we have um, that everyone has experienced is graduation. So you spoke at graduation two years ago, 2021. It was a fabulous speech. You did such a beautiful job. It was a very hot day. I can remember being outside, but you had so many amazing words of wisdom and great analogies. You are very good with the analogies. I remember yours was the word awe and a we, like that just stuck stuck with me because I just thought it was so clever. Can you share a little bit of kind of your favorite bits of your speech from commencement of what you shared with the class of 2021 as they prepared to embark on their next chapter? No, that's really kind of you. I'm always flattered and honored to be asked. It was very cool to be back in the space. It was awesome to have graduation again, you know, in the space of COVID and everything. So to have that opportunity to speak with that class. I love that the tradition of the gowns and the like, there's just something, it was neat to be in the hallway and see my class of 93 
picture and to see my little face and in that hallway of just like in that tradition of the graduating classes. So um, really neat, um, Alexandra, right? Of like the 2023 yeah, class yeah. will join that and you're part of that legacy. But I remember I had spoken, uh, I, I talked about possibility and awe. And my niece and nephew were little. I had two post-it notes. I often have post-it notes on my front door just to catch my eye as I go out into the world. And I had had at the time two notes hanging on my door. One said, what's possible? And the other one said, be in awe. And Brendan and Beatrice were just learning to read. And so we're getting it, you know, we're heading out the door and he's like, he has this like little wrinkled up nose. And he's like, what's possible? What does that even mean? And we started, I said, you know, it's just like when we go out, like anything could happen. Like what's possible today? Anything. And without really like, you know, you like look back and he's like, Eagles could win the Super Bowl. And that was the, that was 2018, and it was the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, right? So that was like so it was in January. Anyway, and then Beatrice, not to be upstaged by her little brother, and again the second post-it note said, "Be in awe." And why I had written that one, I had heard Greg Boyle. He's a really phenomenal Jesuit who runs Homeboy Industry Gang Intervention Program, and I heard him say, "It's easier to be in awe of what people have to carry." than it is to judge how they carry it. And it's a good reminder of me because I can I can sit pretty high on my high judging horse, that is for sure, right? So it was a reminder of like, sort of stay humble, Corinne, and be in awe. So back to Beatrice, she goes, be in a we, what does that mean? And before I could answer, she goes, oh, I get it. There's three of us. We're in a we. And like, I get, I get chills. (laughs) Right. And so like, there is something, there's a power in being together. Like we can't do anything in this world by ourselves. And so that was the spirit that I hope that the class, you know, heard of 2021 of all the hardships, right. Of be in awe of what they overcame together, be in awe of what is possible anything we put our minds to. And if you stay in the lane of like in a Gwinnett Mercy alumni space of like, look at the women ahead of you that you can lean on, look at the women coming behind us and how do we help inspire? How, what do we make possible for that generation? And also in a space of like how powerful it is to be in a we four years at Gwinnett in a sisterhood that's a pretty cool, and I don't know that I knew it. I mean, I definitely felt like I was in a special place in high school, but with a little bit of space and distance from it, just how much, how formative and how important. But yeah, a really good reminder out of the mouth of six-year-olds, right, of what's possible and to be in a way. And it's nice to know that teaching someone doesn't necessarily always have to be the older or wiser person to learn a specific lesson for younger individuals. Little kids can also teach older people and more mature individuals a huge lesson that we never even would have thought of before. And there's a huge inspiration in knowing that. And my mom being a pre-K teacher, she comes home and she tells me stories of the little kids and seeing them so happy when I go to volunteer to work with her it's just, it makes me sit back and just view everything and really be in awe of just knowing that there's more to life than just, you know, work 
and school, there's the friendships we've made, there's the connections we built, there's the family we have and everything else that we've cherished and everything that we persevered through. And it's just amazing what, especially writing my graduation speeches recently and looking back at the past four years with my graduating class, it's just knowing everything we overcame and how we stuck together through it all as a class. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's truly amazing and it's incredible. Yeah, I would imagine that's you have some powerful wisdom, both in your, you know, in your speeches, Alexandra, but you just, yeah, like what's possible, but in that spirit of together, of what you as the class of 2023, what you have persevered and what's possible. Because when you walk out of the, you know, Gwyneth, when you leave the red and gold hallways of remembering that, and then that spirit of possibility, and then even that childlike wonder right? Of like, we don't know it all. And often reminding myself of that space of like, okay, beginner's mindset, like just, just look at it from a different way. When I get stuck of like, I can't figure this thing out. Take a little step back, take a deep breath, walk away (laughs) and then see, you know, what else opens up. So I love that you're, you're well suited for a bright future. That's for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. And as I move on to college, can you explain a little bit to us what your transition was like from Gwinnett to St. Joseph's University? And then what your most difficult challenge was during your college experience? Um, I have often said to folks, I think single sex education, certainly in the high school space, is really important. I remember freshman year, the challenge I placed into some of the higher classes, but in some of the sort of like 101 level classes, you know, to be in a classroom with, you know, 40 or 50 other people, it felt giant compared to Gwinnett and it being in a co-ed space. And I was, I remember this of, you know, like some joke or something would happen. And then like at Gwinnett, like you could have like, like, ha ha ha, like something happens. And then you're just like right back in and sort of focused and moving along. And then like in that space, I was like, why, what is this? Like, why are these girls like being all ditzy and like, okay, I'm judging a little bit. Sorry, I'm not (laughs) staying in that. (laughs) But like, I just remember having a little bit of like awareness of how that environment was different at, you know, and it took a little bit of an adjustment in that space to have come out of the GMA space of, yeah, where it's like sort of that balance of like, yep, there was the joker, there was like the distraction or what have you, but then to come right back into that learning space. So that's something in that space of transition that it just takes a little bit to reacclimate. I think for me, the other is at St. Joe's, it's just, I think wherever you land is looking back, I would give myself permission to it just is, it's going to take a little time to figure it out. College for me did not click right away. And I think I had this unrealistic expectation of like, like it's just all going to work. I thought really, you know, freshman year up until, I mean, I, I really thought fall semester I would transfer. I didn't think I was at the right, you know, I just was like, I felt kind of lost and I felt unsure. And did I make this right choice? And oh my gosh, and oh my gosh. And had real hard conversations with my parents over Christmas break. And it was sort of like, all right, let's go back. Let's try spring semester. And then we'll, you know, then we'll make a next choice. And I'm, you know, I did go back and that's where I kind of met this, you know, met my people, met my tribe. So it just took some time. So that's what I would say is just give yourself permission that it, it will, it will work itself out. 
I think also permission of there, there's so much pressure, probably feels like a lot of pressure to get it right of what this decision is. And it is a big decision, but there are also other ways, right? That transfer option, like just give yourself some grace in what that experience is. Let it unfold. Yeah, exactly. And the other day, actually, a college coach decided to have a call over Zoom with some of the seniors in our seminar periods. And something that I learned from that, especially transitioning to college next year, is that she related college to an all-you-can-eat buffet, which I thought was very interesting. And once she really explained what that meant, she persuaded me as to why it is in a sense that. And her words were that for college, you can't expect everyone to come to you. And you can't expect all the opportunities to come to you like it was in high school where your teachers were more involved in a sense and were like, oh, do you need help with something? Like, I'll help you out. You now have to go to the teachers. You have to go to the students. You have to go to networking events. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. you have to do it yourself now. And that's where I think branching out into the college experience, it's where you gain that independence and that sense of doing things on your own terms and what you feel is right. And I think that's the big challenge of college. And that's what students need to learn and develop as they grow and as they mature throughout their college experience. Yeah, you said it, you hit the nail on the head. And the consequences of that, right? Like our actions and our choices. So Mm -hmm. if you're motivated to do it, I'm gonna, you know, am I actually going to put my name on the list? Am I going to raise my hand? Am I going to follow through? And if I don't, then, you know, that consequence, that decision is something that I own and you get to practice that. And that would be my other word is practice it. And as a, a CEO now and so accomplished and graduating from college and all that amazing work, would you say how and explain how exactly you maintained high grades throughout your college experience and made sure that you kept on track with your grades throughout your college experience and really kept a balance. Hmm. I had the good fortune of having some inherent self-discipline. So I, I think that's important to acknowledge. Like it comes a little bit more naturally to me than perhaps others. And I also learned that I operate better when my day, when there's not a lot of free time, right? So what helped for me, much like in a Gwinnett space of like, right, my day started early, I'm at Gwinnett, all the after-school clubs running till I got home at night, like homework, like, so in in a lot of ways in college, that was a a little bit replicated. I rode for a while at St. Joe's. So that time I had a job. So figuring out now it wasn't a full-time job, but I always had a job and then classes. So kind of knowing that about myself of like idle time for me is often now goes into the world of real housewives or below deck. Like I can lose <laughs> myself, which brings it back me to too. balance. I think that is something that I still struggle with. And I would, you know, oftentimes post a note on my front door might be practice balance or go gently. So I think that it's just it's it's that practice that's what college also creates that opportunity to figure out what does work what motivates what doesn't motivate and what we learn about ourselves i thrive better with deadlines i know that if it doesn't have a deadline for me i'm like well i'll get there someday you know but i didn't know that right away it's it's just like it's a you just got to figure out what works for you but for me it's 
it's having a pretty full day. Keeps me honest. I like that. And I think also keeping your day really like busy and keep you going and motivated and also keeps you grounded as well. And I think when it really does that with their students and they keep us well-rounded and really grounded in ourselves and in each other, which is really inspiring for a lot of people. And I've noticed throughout a little bit of the Zoom call that you mentioned writing down, you know, words of encouragement and words of wisdoms for yourself. Can you just explain a little bit about that? So again, like this is just sort of over time, I stumbled into the world of yoga about 10 years ago. So it kind of ties into our space of balance. Exercise has always been an outlet. Exercise has been grounding for me, but exercise through yoga is a different, right? Is somewhat of that quieting and presencing myself. So I'd say it's in that, in, in coming to yoga and my yoga practice, that's where some of the journaling has also shown up. And some of that just like, of it just helps sometimes can wake me up out of a little bit of a funk or shake me out a little bit if they're, it's not all the time, but like right now the, on my front door, the post-it note says, surrender to win. And it's about just like, just catching myself before I go out the door of like, where today can I exhale and just allow it to be as opposed to struggling to, you know, force it to happen. And so if I remember that, or I become aware of that once or twice throughout the day, hooray, right? And if I didn't practice it today, I get to try again tomorrow. It's a little bit of just my own of that sort of growth and awareness and trying to be a good human in the world and a reminder to practice that. And setting reminders for yourself really encourages you to keep going throughout your life and just be grateful for everything that we have and everything that we've received and the people we have in our lives, which it's really nice. And it's really comforting to know that we have others there to support us throughout our journeys. For sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, we cannot do it alone. Yeah, exactly. And I know at St. Joseph's University, you were an active member of campus ministry during your college years. And what compelled you to continue to provide service going from high school to college? Oh, we're just going to blame the mercy nuns. Let's put it all on them. (laughs) Yeah, the mercy nuns know how to I mean, how to they, make you motivated. <laughs> yeah, they get in there. I had an email from Sister Maureen Christie a little bit ago that had come out of the blue. There was an we there was a piece in the Inquirer, and I had been quoted, and she had reached out, and it just was a beautiful note from her. It's in my save file, and they're not a lot in there, but on the hard days, I was like, I told her, I was like, that one's going in the read it again on the hard days. But she, in so many words, she was like, it's good to know. She's like, from our little corner of the world, like the mercy charisma is is out in the world. So yeah, I think the spirit of Catherine McCauley and how the lay women and men at Gwynedd alongside the Sisters of Mercy, you know, Erin, right, of what you do every day at Gwinnett, modeling that alongside students and how it gets in our, it just gets in the DNA. So it's a pretty natural, I think, way to carry forward. It's easy, Alexandra. It's in you. Exactly. And I think it's really, it's become so easy as a senior now just to be rooted in mercy especially starting out freshman year and just getting our feet wet and trying to figure out where our place is in the world to being a senior now and really being deeply rooted in that mercy spirit. It's just, it's so simple being able to carry it on into the world. And I think that's what makes me so proud of myself and so proud to have Gwynedd as my school and as my community, because 
it's so much more than just a school and just, you know, faculty and staff and amazing teachers. And there's so many leadership roles. And the fact that there's always a place to call home here at Glennon, more than just, it's more than just a building. It's more than just the people. It's just a place you can call home and it's your home away from home, which is really special. Absolutely. Hang on to her. I know. I'm like, I don't want her to graduate, (laughs) but we won't, we won't let her get fired. She'll have to come back and and volunteer and and be, be a a guest on the podcast uh, one day because you have so many great words of wisdom as well. But yeah, I think the the spirit of service here is just so amazing. And, And even reflecting on my life, you know, jobs that I never thought really were of service to others. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, actually I've been on this pursuit you know, since leaving here and, and now being at a nonprofit, like when did I know you're at a nonprofit with a Habitat for Humanity? I mean, what led you to be a part of that kind of, not only just, you know, on the weekends volunteering or, or whatever, but making it your career to be a part of the nonprofit world. And then also like, what do you, like, what is it that you do um, with Habitat Mm -hmm. for Humanity? So we'll tackle the first part, kind of my why. And right after college, I worked briefly in the corporate space, very briefly. And after about a year, year and a half, I left there and I took a job with Sister Mary Scullion, who is a Sister of Mercy and um, is the CEO of Project Hope. And I worked with Mary for about five years there. And that was the proximity that put me in proximity alongside folks experiencing homelessness, proximity in neighborhoods where I've never been, and created relationships. One of the women that, you know, I think about often, Miss Helen Brown, she ran the community center about five blocks over, connected to Project Home, woman of color, you know, had lived in North Philadelphia her entire life. And, you know, just to Just what I learned and watched and witnessed and modeled in her brave Miss Helen leadership proximity. Again, like you get close, you get in relationship with folks. It's hard. It's hard to leave. It's hard to distance yourself. I find I should speak from the eye. I find it hard. You know, so through Project Home, what that opportunity and what those relationships were built. I took the job in 2009 at Habitat and a mutual friend had made the introduction to our executive director at the time. And we had two phone interviews and I took the job pretty much sight unseen and talk about a leap of faith, but landed here. And, you know, Alexander, you said it feels like home at Gwinnett landing here. It is not lost on me of what we do every day is build and repair homes. And this place has been home for me. Philadelphia is home. North Philadelphia is where I spend my time. North Philadelphia feels like home. You know, Mr. Harold across the street, Miss Ilona, Tamika and her daughter, Jaylin and Audrey Elaine, like the neighbors of Habitat homeowners that I have gotten to know who have, you know, bought their homes through Habitat while I've been here. So I stay in it in a space of, I really believe in my heart of hearts that there is enough in this world to go around. There's more than enough. I have a pretty remarkable opportunity. And what I've done is inviting those who have more to be part of, comes back to that, like to be in a we with us here at Habitat. So to invest here with us at Habitat, to open doors of opportunities alongside families who have, you know, for decades, because of the color of their skin, 
right, who have been denied where they can live and access to capital and access to loans and all of the systemic racism. So to be in a place that like is about breaking that cycle, about creating opportunity, about building generational wealth, about healing, it's a pretty humbling, hard, powerful, rewarding opportunity. But all the way through, I'd say it's relationship. I've just had the chance to get to know some just beautiful, beautiful humans. And that's what keeps me. It's fantastic. And a beautiful reason to do such important work and what you do, you know, providing housing for people who, you know, otherwise may not have access is a giant <laughs> kind of a mission. When as the CEO of Habitat for Humanity in Philadelphia, what is your work day look like? Like, what do you, what are the things that you have to do to kind of ensure that your team do we, do can we get on this podcast this? to like show them my desk? Yeah. I'm sure it is piled high. I, I, yeah, I'm, you probably have so much on your plate, but like, um, yeah, how do you make sure that your team can do what needs to get done? So here's what I have learned is that I, none of this is me. I sincerely mean that. I've had the chance to work alongside the best teams. And I think that's the crux of leadership is to build teams. Our vision is a Philadelphia where everyone has a decent place to live. It's audacious. It's wild. It's impossible. But what's possible? Let's go after it. Right. So like set the vision, set the course, and then build a team around it to go after it. A team of experts, a team of compassionate, creative hardworking folks who like to celebrate when we get the wins, pick each other up when we fail and we fail often. What do we learn from it? How do we keep going? My day is never the same day twice. I start with a plan. I try to start the morning with a like literally handwritten list, you know, and sort of in buckets of like, what's the follow-up? What are the to-dos? What is the big think that I need to like block, like think big about X? And then inevitably something, right? An email or a call or a text message comes in. And then I start to <laughs> work my way down the ski slope of, okay, what has to get done? What's the new curveball here? Oftentimes I'm chief cheerleader. People, you know, I want people to feel seen, feel seen and valued for what their contribution is, for people to understand why it is we do what we do. My day can be anything from like, you know, today I'm with you. And a few minutes here, we have a call with folks who have been major donors of ours for three decades. We're doing a video interview with them for our upcoming Building Hope Luncheon. That's on my plate. It's just a small little fundraiser that will raise $500,000 on May 4th. No big deal. And then I wrap the day this evening at the mayoral forum, which is focused on affordable housing. So in that space, with my questions on hand to ask the mayoral candidates and be a champion in that space for others who are not in that room, whose voices aren't heard. In the space of affordable housing, I go home, I will exercise. I have a commitment to do that. <laughs> Thank God for Peloton. Go to bed, get up and do it all again tomorrow. Start in that same space again of like, all right, what has to get done today? What would be extra if it got done and then respond to what emerges? Absolutely. Yeah. That constant pull, push and pull of prioritization yeah. uh, is really hard, but a skill that you definitely, especially as a, as a boss, you need to be able to, to move. Two days ago, it was a call that there was a bird loose in the, we we're opening a new restore, which is our thrift store. It's a 20,000. It's not open yet to the public, but I get this call and she's like, oh my God, there's a bird flying at my head. In the <laughs> I'm like, 
I don't know how to solve for that. Right. Open the door. Right. You're like, I did not major in bird removal, but (laughs) where in this? I don't know. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. So I'm, and I'm sure you come across, you know, so many challenges, um, you know, just from lack of resources, lack of time, like, you know, all of that, but what would you say is your, your biggest challenge you've kind of encountered in your work life and how were you able to overcome it? I try to be mindful of pace and bringing it back to like a Mr. Wilson, you know, I'm in a marathon and a sprint at the same time and recognizing that our team and families in our program, like what's the pace and always sort of scanning of like, all right, what's the adjustment? Are we, you know, foot further on? Like, like, can we accelerate or do we need to back off a little bit and back off to celebrate, back off to rest? I will say one of the prouder things I'm proud of, we've worked, I've worked really hard here to create a culture of rest. So we do rest days, January and February, whole place. We shut it down based that people go home and, you know, creativity emerges when we have rest. And if we keep going, it's such a breakneck pace, you know, then, then the creativity doesn't emerge. We now, you know, when folks hit a five-year anniversary with us here at Habitat, they get an anniversary leave and it can be up to six weeks of paid leave. And it's been pretty remarkable to have folks, you know, colleagues said to me, she's like, this is the first time in my life with my children that I'm going to just go to the pool with the kids this summer. I've never done that. And how grateful I am to have that time with my girls while they're young to go to, you know, just like do summer with the kids and not just put them in camp. I'm mindful of pace and Aaron and Alexandra are also mindful of pace of their you know, since we've talked, 20 people have called Habitat who need housing, right? So aware of that and just how important and what that means when you do have a home that is repaired, you know, a roof that isn't leaking into your kitchen and a home that now your kiddos doesn't make them sick and they can go to school the next day of how important that is. So what's the pace? Balance, right? Alexandra, you asked that. That's a really another good of like, what's that balance? And that's something we play with a lot here. And to just be able to spread the positivity and also be aware of all the problems this world is facing today. And just to know that as a boss, like it can be a very cutthroat world today. And to just be able to acknowledge and recognize your employees and to really just spread that awareness to everyone and to be able to give them days off like that and to show that, you know, they also have a family at home and that you know, it's not just working 24 seven, like there's also a family to be taken care of and kids to even just spend time with and to have dinner on the table and be able to spend Mm -hmm. time with your family. I think that's just a really important thing for people to acknowledge that, especially being a senior going to college and wanting to find a good career and a good job in the future that, you know, even though I'm going to college to find, you know, that good job or that good career that it's not just all about that as well it's also to find that balance in life and to have a family one day and to settle down and to also have that job in the future but to find that balance within myself so I think that's really important to acknowledge and recognize thanks (laughs) and you know going based off of your work and what you do what would you say that you find the most interesting about your work overall it's a puzzle. Like what we, you know, it's like this like puzzle piece. It's this jigsaw puzzle of how to make it work. And so that is challenging. And I like a challenge. 
habitat in our first 37 years, we repaired and built 1,000 homes. We hit that milestone in November. And in the next five years, we have a plan. We've got the people. We have most of the resources identified. We'll do 1,000 more in the next five years. So that is uh, pretty daunting and motivating as well when I think about where we are right now, where we've come, what we've learned, and the direction we're going. So that keeps me coming back. That's amazing. And as you continuously drive that strategic vision for Habitat for Humanity, can you share with us what you're currently working on uh, with your organization? We have right now 27 new homes under construction, which is the most ever in our history. They're all in lower north central Philadelphia. There are two projects we have going. One is 33rd and Oxford. It's called Coltrane Commons. It was named by the neighbors because it's adjacent to where John Coltrane, famous jazz musician, had lived. And the other is closer to Temple University. And then the other that we have is our home repair program. So we go into owner-occupied homes, low-income homeowners, fix roofs, heating systems, plumbing systems. Wildly enough, in Philadelphia right now, there are 27,000 homeowners who do not have adequate running water in their home. That's Philadelphia. That is not a developing country that's here in the city of Philadelphia. So, you know, we're working along folks, aside folks who, you know, where they live, it is falling down around them. So we repair right now on average 100 homes a year, and I'm really excited. We have a new partnership with the William Penn Foundation, one of the larger foundations in the region, who just made a $4 million investment in us here, and we'll double that number of home repairs over the next three years to 200 a year. So that's the focus right now is both on like literally like the teams who are in the streets right now, but how do we then build the infrastructure underneath so we have the capacity to deliver on those 200 a year and keep it at 200 a year? That is so inspiring and admirable. I'm just in awe listening to that. (laughs) For just the Gwinnett girls listening, what advice would you give the students today that you wish you would have gone in high school? Mm, I think, and I practice this with myself now, good enough is head and shoulders above everybody else. So Alexander, this might resonate. Erin probably resonates with you, right? The Gwinnett girl, we are kick butt, high achieving, take no mercy with all of our mercy, (laughs) right? (laughs) Know that there is an art of when, you know, back to pace, back to balance, but our good enough is really good. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yes. I feel like that is a good piece of advice for any Mercy girl, whether she be a current student, past student, future student. We are we are such go-getters and we're not, we don't rest on our laurels. And I think it's okay to rest on our laurels sometimes. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Corinne, so much for your time and for sharing your wisdom. Um, It's been a fabulous conversation and I look forward to the listeners hearing it. So thank you.